Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, for your word. Uh, and uh, as we get ready to conclude uh, this series, uh, my prayer is that uh, we would receive uh, from the text everything you want us to receive and that I'd be uh, out of your way and distraction would be out of your way and uh, you would communicate what you wish to communicate. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Everybody uh, has these places of uh, incredible significance. Uh, for me, there's a camp up in central Michigan, uh, and I can honestly still tell you about being in middle school and sitting around the campfire. campfire. I could describe for you uh, the smell of that campfire and the brightness of the stars in the sky. I could even tell you about the message that I heard around the campfire uh, that evening because it was around that campfire that I felt the strongest call uh, to located church ministry uh, that, that at the time, that I, I, the biggest call of God that I'd ever received. And I was in middle school, and it was so real to me in that moment and moved me so much that when I go back to that campfire spot every once in a while, uh, I still have an emotional reaction when I get to that spot. It's kind of a sacred ground to me. Uh, another spot is uh, in my hometown um, when my mother passed away in 1993, we uh, buried my mom in our, our hometown in a cemetery there. And then two years ago, when my dad passed away, my sister and I were able to bring him back and we buried him uh, next to our mom. And I've never been like a huge visit the grave guy, but it was so moving to me uh, to kind of bring them back together. Uh, that's the only way I can describe it. And uh, to bring him back to that spot, it kind of became a little bit of sacred ground. Uh, Cheryl and I talk about it with our home, that we should probably be in a bigger house. Uh, we, we don't have enough space. We're cramped in there. Uh, Lila's bedroom, when, she's get old, when she gets older, I'm sure she will tell you her bedroom is too small. It's small. Um, but for Cheryl and I, there's so much emotion tied up in our house that we brought our kids home uh, to that house. And listen, someday we probably will leave that house, but don't come by that day. I'll be engaged in the ugly cry, right? <laughs> U-G-L-Y cry. No, absolutely no, no question about it. And so uh, I want us to be thinking about a little bit about sacred spaces, spaces that are meaningful, spaces where we're still moved, spaces that are important to us. Because for the last 12 weeks, uh, we've been studying the life of Jacob, and today's the last day of the series. Uh, next January, we're going to pick up in uh, chapter 37, I think it is, where the life of Joseph starts, and we're going to wrap up Genesis next year. Um, but the series today, it's going to end very closely to where it all began. Uh, if you'll remember way back at the beginning, after Jacob uh, steals his brother's birthright and blessing, he's forced to leave, and very early in the series, he stops at this place called Bethel. And it's there that he has this dream of this staircase uh, coming down from heaven. And it was as if God was saying, man, uh, I'm going to come down and be with you. I'm going to come down and help you. Jacob, you are, are not alone. And it's God renewing the promise and reassuring Jacob that he'll be with him every step of the way. And this became a sacred place to Jacob. And now on the screen, I want to show you what happens next. All right? Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there. And build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, Get rid of all the foreign gods that you have with you. Purify yourselves and change your clothes. We're going someplace special, basically, right? Get yourselves dressed up, right? 
Then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all their foreign gods that they had, and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. And then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them, so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people who were with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. All right, there. Remember, underneath this story, this is always what's going on, is the promised land and returning to it. And, and there he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak tree outside of Bethel, so it was named Alan Bakuth. After Jacob returned from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and community of nations will come from you. Kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at that place where he had talked with him. So Jacob set up a stone pillar in that place where God had talked with him. And he poured a drink offering on it, and he also poured oil on it. Jacob uh, called the place where God had talked to him Bethel. Sacred space. Right from the time that he flees his brother to now returning some 20 years later, returning to the, God, to the land that God had promised him, this space was sacred. It was significant. I want to show you, it's kind of a longer quote if you'll indulge me, but um, way back uh, a couple years ago, uh, it was actually uh, the week before we shut down for COVID, uh, we had a mentor of mine, Paul Kisling, in, and he taught a whole kind of weekend class on the book of Genesis. He preached, and then we shut down for like two and a half months. Now, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> That's just the timeline, all right? He preached, and then we shut down. All right, so... Um, I'm teasing because I know his wife watches this. But, um, and so he, uh, he, wrote, uh, he literally kind of wrote the commentary uh, for College Press on the book of Genesis. Uh, and so that was a great weekend. We learned a ton from him. And here's what he says about this story. Just as the Lord had appeared to him in a dream when he slept at Bethel on his way out of Canaan, here God appeared to him again. This time, however, the appearance was not in a dream, but in some more direct fashion. Once again, God came with a blessing. This passage thus is deliberately paired with its counterpart in chapter 28. Together, they form the beginning and the end of Jacob's saga of bearing the consequence of playing God. Even though those consequences included being tricked and cheated and humbled and finally handicapped, God has been faithful. His purposes would not be defeated by Rebekah and Jacob's scheming, nor by Isaac and Esau's resistance, nor by Laban's treachery. The promises and the blessing which accompanies them and brings them to fruition were still valid. In fact, Jacob receives an even greater reassurance of this fact. What was once a dream has turned into a reality. The direct appearance of God to Jacob without a mediator turns the dream of Bethel into the reality of Jacob's return to Bethel. And so what Paul is saying here, and what I think the story is teaching us as we conclude it, is the last 20 years have been a journey for Jacob. From Bethel back to Bethel, it's been a journey. And in addition to the vision on the, on the staircase, uh, staircase, he's had this experience with his uncle Laban 
where the trickster, Jacob, becomes tricked by Laban. And God uses that experience of him being tricked by his uncle to grow him. He's gotten married and he's had children in that 20 years. And I know that our culture is different from Jacob's culture, but I still think there's something about having children that changes you. Mostly for the better. Um, (laughs) But God can use any relationship, and he definitely seems to use children to develop certain character traits in you. How many of you, you didn't even really know what patience was until you had kids? And I'm like, oh, that's what older people were talking about when they said, God has given me patience. Joy. You may not even know what joy, joy was or, or kindness or self-control or grace and understanding. And God can develop these things outside of that. Of course he can. But there is something about Jacob starting a family that I think develops some of these things in him. He has a wrestling match with God a couple chapters ago that leaves him with a permanent limp. Right? A, wrestling, a wrestling match that reminded him that God is in control and God is powerful and God is sovereign and God has a plan. And Jacob often in this story uh, thinks that he is in control and God reminds him in that wrestling match that that is all an illusion. It's, it's, you think you're in control, but God really is in control. He's had a tragedy in this 20 years. His daughter is sexually assaulted. Uh, his sons took justice into their own hands. And tragedy, it has a way of changing us and growing us. It's in tragedy that we learn to lean on God and trust God, and he develops in us a perseverance and grit that aids us in life. So God has used this 20 years that we've been studying to form Jacob. And I bet, I bet if we had time and we went around this room, I bet you can see the ways that God has developed you in and through your journey. Maybe you would say, man, through my family, God has taught me grace. Or maybe you would say, through my job, God has taught me patience. Through my tragedy, God has taught me peace. Through my experiences, God has taught me and shaped me and made me who I am today. And that is an amazing God thing that only God can do over the span of 20 years is use our experiences to shape us and improve us and make us who he wants us to be. It's a grace thing. Underneath all of these promises that God has made, underneath all of this, excuse me, are are the promises that we see in this text. That God every so often just comes and reminds Jacob of the promises promises he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. The promises of the blessing of land. The promises of the blessing of descendants. The promises of the blessing of uh, a nation with two uh, people too numerous to count uh, and a nation being formed. And as uh, the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob comes uh, to pass, these promises are also coming to pass. And here's what I think is true for Jacob and probably true for you and I as well. I think it would be easy for Jacob to get so fixated on the future blessing that God has promised him that he lost sight of how God had provided provision in the land in between, in between the two Bethels. I think it would be easy as God comes to him and says, remember, there is future blessing and future land and future descendants. I think, and maybe this is just me reading in the text, but I think it would be easy for Jacob to get so fixated on those future blessings that he lost sight on what his God did the last 20 years in the land in between. And I think we often, too, become fixated on the destination and we lose sight of the journey. We have this picture in our head formed of what 
our promised land looks like. And we say, man, if I could just get married, then everything would be great. Or, man, if we could just have kids, it would be great. Or, man, when the kids leave the house, it will be great, right? When I get my dream job, everything will be great. When I'm retired, everything will be great. And we have this fully formed picture. This is the promised land. Future blessing. And here's what I'm learning from Jacob on the screen for you. Don't underestimate what God can do in the journey. That's what I'm learning from Jacob. I think just about the story of Jacob wrestling with his God. This story kind of takes place, I'm going to call it the messy middle. The land in between the two Bethels, the messy middle. This story takes place in the middle of all that. And in this story, God says to him, after he kind of permanently disables him, he says, man, your, your name will no longer be Jacob, but instead it's going to be Israel because you have wrestled with God and with man and have endured. In other words, you will be called Israel from now on because you have persevered, you have shown grit, and you have endured. And think about the ways that that name would serve Israel as they became a nation. Throughout their history... This nation has been oppressed. They have been enslaved. They have been mistreated. And they would need this namesake, this wrestling, overcoming, gritty mindset to overcome their challenges and their history. And here's what I want to remind you of. It seems like just a a simple story, but it became a namesake that served that nation well. Don't underestimate what God can do in the messy middle. See it all throughout the scriptures. It's in the messy middle in the book of Exodus when God's people are going from Egypt, they're returning to the promised land, that God gives them manna from heaven to teach them and remind them, I am your provider, I am with you, I will take care of you. It's in the messy middle when they're in captivity in Babylon that God was teaching Israel faithfulness when your culture is not honored and you feel like you're on your own, where your habits and your faith are not affirmed. He taught them, he taught them in exile to rely on him and they were stronger because of what they went through in the messy middle. Even when Jesus came to earth, he could have come to earth and gone straight to a cross. But instead, he came and he walked a journey with his disciples over the course of three years. And they heard him teach, and they saw him perform miracles, and they got to see his relationship to God. And during, during that journey, he was showing them who he is. Don't underestimate what God can do in the journey. We get so fixated on the promised land that we miss what he wants to do and what he has been doing in the here and now. So here's what I would say to you. First of all, be aware that God is on this road that you're on right now. He's on this road. He's part of your journey. He's not just hanging at the destination waiting for you there. And I think an awareness of that helps us keep our eyes wide open so that we can be receptive to what God might be trying to teach us and showing us in the messy middle, how he is using our circumstances today to shape us and make us new. Be aware. Be humble. If awareness is the ability to see what God is doing, humility is the attribute that we have that allows God to do the work in us that he wants to do. I think sometimes we all have probably a list of sins that we think are really serious sins, right? The really, really big ones. And most of the ones that we think are the really, really big ones are the ones we're not currently doing, right? It's just kind of human nature. So we all have a list. I bet you if we were to do a list, I bet very, very few people on their really serious sins include pride. But pride is kind of a big deal because pride keeps us from being open 
to what God is teaching us and showing us and revealing to us. The very work that God wants to do can be sabotaged with a prideful spirit in the middle of a messy middle. Last thing I would say is be faithful. So many times on the journey, especially in the messy middle, I think we feel tempted to give up. Our pride might cause us to say things like, I deserve better. This isn't fair. I'm not putting up with this for a minute more. And we give up in the messy middle. And we never really get to see what God was trying to do. The way that he was moving in the messy middle to grow us and shape us and make us into the people he wants us to be. And there are many ways you could apply this truth. You could apply it to whatever kind of you have in your mind uh, for what your promised land looks like in this season of your life. So you could apply it to raising kids where right now, as you're raising your kids, it just feels like you're in the messy middle right now. And you know that there's a promised land, and you also know this ain't it. You could apply it to marriage. You could apply it to career. Like, man, I know God's got something in the future for me with my career. Uh, I know there's a promised land. I also know this ain't it, right? You might have that attitude, and you're frustrated. You're frustrated. And this isn't profound and... I'm not even sure how good it is. Yesterday I had the stomach flu, so I'm just up here reading my text, but don't underestimate what God can do in the messy middle. Please. In you and in them, be humble. Be faithful. Be open to what God is trying to do in you and through you. So there's a lot of ways that, that you could apply it. But I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't apply it in a very specific way. Um, I wanted to apply, as we finish out Jacob, Um, I wanted to apply it by talking a little bit about eternal life. Because I think in the New Testament, uh, when God talks about the promised land, uh, a lot of what he talks about has to do with our eternal reward, our heavenly reward. And that's not the only part of it, obviously. There's a lot of parts of it, but that's a significant part. So I want to read you this text. Uh, This is from uh, John in Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. There's a promised land coming. And until that day comes, guys, We're kind of in the messy middle. We're we're on the journey. And in the messy middle, as John writes in this text, we have difficulty and sin and hardship. But don't despair. Because you never want to underestimate what God can do in the journey. You never want to underestimate what God can do in the messy middle. You say, what on earth are you talking about? What if part of what God is doing in the messy middle is to prepare us to enter the promised land? 
I don't know if you've ever thought about that vision of this life, but what if what he's trying to do is to prepare us for eternity? Um, And so I want you to think about things like worship, right? If we can learn to worship God in all things in the messy middle, think about how worship will be in the promised land when death and disease and sin have been destroyed. So what if part of what we need to learn in the messy middle, part of what we need to learn in this journey that we're on right now together is we need to learn to worship well. Because God is preparing us for our eternity. So when I refuse to worship because of difficult circumstances, I just kind of shake my fist at God. When I refuse to worship because songs maybe aren't to my liking. When I refuse to worship because I'm just not feeling it. When I refuse to worship, not only am I not worshiping God, who is worthy of honor and glory and praise, but I'm kind of substituting God for me. And what if one of the things that God wants to teach us in the messy middle is how to worship so we do it well in the promised land. Despite how I feel, despite my circumstances, to lift up my God who is worthy of honor and glory and praise. When I learn it here, it will be so much better there. What if part of what God is trying to teach us in the messy middle is how to do relationships well? This was a big one for Jacob. One of the things Jacob had to learn in the messy middle was community and friendship and relationship. See, it is untrue that the only thing that will happen in eternity is our relationship to God. That we'll be like on some cloud. It's untrue that we'll be on some cloud just kind of singing forever and ever and ever. He created us for human relationship. And so they will exist in heaven. And it's harder here because sin still exists and difficulty exists. And sometimes people are just the worst, right? But if we can learn it here, how much better will things be there? So in the messy middle, what if part of what God is doing is preparing us how to really love each other well for all of eternity? That's what we're learning to love despite our conflicts. We're learning to overcome racial differences, which I think will be really important in a place where every tribe, tongue, and nation will worship. We're learning to love unconditionally. We're learning to show grace. And in this messy middle, we are being prepared for this promised land full of rich and inspiring relationship. And if we can learn it here, how much better will it be there? What if part of what he's trying to teach us in the messy middle, this is also huge for Jacob, is how to overcome and persevere? You say, well, why would he want to teach that? There's no overcoming and persevering in heaven. Yeah, I know. What if he is teaching us to overcome and persevere here so that we can fully enjoy a land where no overcoming is needed and no perseverance is needed? And we look back, when we look back on 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we remember that our few years here, yeah, I learned to overcome. I learned to persevere. And now I am fully enjoying a reward where there is no overcoming and perseverance that is needed. What if he's preparing us? What if in the messy middle, he's not just preparing us? What if he's giving us a purpose? And part of that purpose is pointing people up there, pointing people to our Savior Jesus who loves them and died for them and promises them eternal life. And I think that's probably an obvious take-home point. If I said I was going to come and teach to you about heaven at the end of this message, you could probably have guessed that point. 
that we need to point people to Jesus, that, uh, that here on earth there is death and hardship and sin and pain, but someday Jesus will return with a sword in his mouth and fire in his eyes, and he will destroy death and hardship and sin and pain, and those things will be no more. So trust in him. We won't always be in the messy middle. We won't always be on the journey. Someday we will enter the promised land. It's an obvious take-home point, but what if that wasn't the only part of our mission was to point people up there? What if part of our mission became to bring some of up there down here? And the people of Decatur could look at Northwest Christian Church and they could say, man, that's what a community of worshipers look like. That is what, look at that church, that is what healthy relationships look like. That is what a community of believers look like. What if the people of Decatur looked at Northwest Christian Church and said, yeah, yeah, they're not perfect, but that's kind of an imperfect look at what I think heaven's going to be like. What if the mission was, hey, just come to my church What if it was come with me and catch a glimpse, catch a taste of what heaven's going to be like because they love each other so well, they worship so passionately. It is a community of believers that serves one another, loves one another, and goes to the mat for one another. It's just like what heaven's going to be like. You know what they said about the early church? One of the things they said about the early church, I'll tell you what they didn't say. They wasn't say, hey, Jerusalem friends, you are not going to believe the building. Unbelievable lights and sound. You're not going to believe the work they do with video. It's unbelievable. You know what they said about the early church when they looked at them? They said, look at, look at that church over there. There's no needy person among them. What a vision. That's not, I think you're going to like this series. Come check out this series. Or I think you're going to like my pastor. Come hear him. Or I think you're going to like the worship team. Come see them lead worship. It wasn't, it was, look at them. In this community of believers, there is no needy person among them. They love so well. They worship so well. They serve so well. It is like up there has come down here. And I tell you, in these pastoral circles, pastors are trying to figure out all that. How do you get people to invite people to church? How do you get them to invite? You got to do the invite cards. You got to do the website. You got to do all this stuff. What if our ministry became, we're going to make up there, down here. And look at how we love. And look at how we worship. And look at how we serve. Look at what we're doing. We know it's a messy middle. We know that this is a journey and it's tough. But here, this is a little bit of up there, down here. The way we love, the way we serve, the way we worship, it's like up there has come, down here. That's a vision I would get behind. So one of the things I'm learning from Jacob as we conclude this series is that in between Bethel's, when you're in the middle of the journey, Here's my take home. Let's journey well. Someday these will all be stories that we tell. Our grandkids and our grandkids tell their grandkids. These will be just stories that we tell. Let me tell you about the pandemic of 2020. Let me tell you about the way my family had the stomach flu twice in 30 days. These will be stories we tell. Let me tell you about the church I grew up in, Northwest Christian Church. 
just a story we tell. Don't you want to tell a good one? When time has passed and it's all just in the storybook of life, don't you want to be able to look at your grandkids and say, let me tell you about this church that I grew up in or this church that I was a part of. There was no needy person among them. They worshiped with great passion. People of all different age groups, different styles, different preferences, they worshiped so well. They served so well. I'm telling you, it was like up there came down here. We weren't just, taught, we weren't just pointing people up there. That's a good mission, and I'm behind that. I'm, I'm for it. We're going to do it on Easter, actually. It's not just pointing people up there. It's saying, what if up there could come down here? And so someday... Raising your kids will be a story you tell. The job you work will be a story you tell. The day you retired will be a story that you tell. Your college, it'll just be a story you tell. Let's make sure we tell a good one. Here's how the writer of Hebrews says it as we close. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You want to talk about the messy middle? He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's journey well. In between the Bethels, in the middle of the mess, let's journey well because someday we'll tell a story and we want to make sure to tell a good one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace that he is with us in between our Bethels, where it all started and kind of where it comes to conclusion. He's not just in the promised land waiting for us. He's with us today. And what that means is we can journey on purpose. We can journey on mission. We can tell a great story about our faithfulness and the faithfulness of our friends and the way that we worshiped because you're here in the messy middle. Um, as we get ready to, to celebrate the moment that Jesus overcame death, his death and his burial and his resurrection by receiving communion, my prayer right now is that as we remember his death, we would remember that following his death came resurrection. So you are a God of power and grace, and you are with us, and we want to remember that right now. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to receive communion together, and it's an opportunity to just remember the sacrifice of our Savior so that our sins could be forgiven, and we could receive that promised land. And, but he didn't just say, I'm going to be waiting for you in the promised land. He didn't say that. He said, I'm going, to, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, but I'm sending my spirit to be with you in the messy middle so that you can endure and be faithful and journey well. And he is with us. And communion is an opportunity for us to remember those things. So we're going to uh, pass out uh, the bread and the juice uh, in two cups, and you can just kind of hang on to those, and then I'll come back up and we'll receive communion together as a church family. His body given for you. His blood poured out. Jesus, we thank you for the promise of promised land. 
and we never want to become so fixated on the future that we miss what you're doing day to day. So as we leave this place and kind of go out to live our lives this week and kind of the messy middle between our Bethels, we remember that you're not just in the future, you're in the present, and you're with us. And may we journey well. May we live well. May we point people to you, and may we point people up there, and may we bring some of up there down here. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey, uh, um, we're going to close with one last song. Uh, I'm really excited uh, to start Wordle uh, next Sunday, Thursday. You can get on our different kind of media sites and and play along a little bit. There'll be a word uh, dropped on this Thursday. So uh, God bless you guys. Have a great week ahead. Let's uh, sing together.